Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. I was led to preach on a particular subject with you guys. And I acknowledge that there are some things that's kind of hard to preach about. And what I mean is, if I am to teach you something, that means that I have some authority over it, or I have mastery over it, or I have a better understanding over it before I can release it. Does it make sense? But at the same time, like, when you look at the whole Bible, I'm also called to preach the whole Bible, even the stuff that I don't fully understand. So what am I to do? Do I only preach and teach what I know, or do I go by faith of my call to preach everything, even the stuff that I may not have fully mastered? You, you with me? So this is one of those subjects that, like, uh, it's humbling to recognize that I'm going to be teaching and preaching about a subject that I will fully acknowledge. I'm still wrestling with it. Do I fully grasp it? Or do I just go by confidence that I release what God's word says and let his power enable you? So it's not my empowerment. It is God's empowerment over you. Does that make sense? So the subject is faith, more specifically empowering faith. Again, I don't confess to having mastery over it, know it fully. I humbly come before you to say, I am still wrestling with some of this stuff, but we're going to look at it together. So do you guys want to know this faith that can move mountains? Yeah, me too. Yeah. So uh, if you have your phones, turn with me to Mark 11, starting at verse 20. Mark 11. I'll be reading from the ESV for, for you. Mark eleven twenty, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So a little context. Jesus enters Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. You guys remember that, right? So this is the last week before his death. He enters Jerusalem, and a couple of days later, he, or as he's, the very following day after the triumphal entry, he sees a fig tree. He's hungry, looks for a fig, did not see it, and he says this, may no one eat fruit from you again couple of days later, they're passing by that same road, and they, and it's Peter. He sees a tree. He goes, Rabbi, and he's like surprised. That tree that you cursed has withered and died. Now, when you first, when I first read that, I'm like, Jesus is being a little mean, <laughs> right? Because the scripture clearly says it wasn't season for figs. So why are you looking for figs? Jesus, didn't you know? Come on now, right? So I thought he was being mean, 
But if you study this further, it's a prophetic declaration. Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, the place of the temple, for God's people. It is a place where people who knew God were supposed to be fruitful in the things of God. And Jesus says, you have no fruit. Cursed. May no one. So it's a prophetic declaration. It's not of whether we think Jesus being mean or right or just or anything of that, of, of the season. He says it, it reveals that Jesus had the authority to judge a tree. And he has the authority to judge sons and daughters of God. Called to be fruitful. You're not being fruitful? Here's a sign. Does it make sense? Now, the message is not about this, but he uses that power, that authority, to demonstrate about something about faith. And that's where we get stumped. Or at least me. Jesus teaches on the subject of faith. And he says, have faith in God and do not doubt. So what does it mean to have faith in God? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 has its definition of faith, and it says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the things not seen. So it's that assurance is the confidence in the things hoped for and the conviction of the things not seen. Now, the other translations, like King James says, uh, faith is a substance. It's like something substantial. It's, it's now, right? And it's the evidence of the not seen. Uh, Christian Standard Bible says faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof, evidence of what is not seen. I got to admit to you, I can read that 20 times and not fully comprehend it. I can memorize it and I still don't fully comprehend that definition. But I love the definition that I, I was taught in my Hebrew class. Now, the word faith in the Hebrew is aman. It's the same core letters, same root word is where we get amen. That last song we were saying, amen, amen, over and over. What is amen? Truly, truly, verily, verily. It is say, it is true. I agree with it. Let it be. You guys understand that? So when somebody prays and I say, amen, you are coming into agreement. That is the truth. That's the standard. So when we say aman or amen, it is, we are coming into agreement with God, that he's the truth. What he says, that's the truth. Not what we see is coming into agreement with what God is doing in the heavenly realm. So it is the, the prayer that Jesus taught, right, in the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And he says, um, you're, he's coming to a, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not what we see, it's Kingdom heaven, as the model, come. And he said in um, Luke twenty two forty two, 42, not my will, but yours be done. This is when he was cup, holding the cup in the olive grove. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I can't spit the words out. But he, as he was praying and sweating blood, he says, let this cup pass, but not my will, but your will be done. His prayer is not what I see, not what my comfort is, but your will. Amen. Coming into agreement with God. Faith is believing. It's trusting God 
more than what we see. Even what we see seems like an improbability or impossibility. It's still coming into agreement, God, you are the truth. Your will be done, not mine. Your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. It is God's heart being revealed on this land. So what Jesus says in verse 22, 23, he says, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, amen, I say to you. That's what he's saying, right? Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass and will be done for him. So faith is to believe, to trust, and not doubt. It's the confidence in God, not in yourself or a situation. It's a confidence in the unseen that is the Holy Spirit, that is God himself. It's a lot of stuff. Okay, Matthew 17, 20, he says, uh, because you of little faith, for truly, I, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What he's saying in that context is that you don't even have to have a lot. You have little faith. And then elsewhere, he talks about Faith the size of a mustard seed. And you guys probably have heard many teachings on that. Mustard seed is like a, one of the smallest grain of seed that's like smaller than the tip of your fingernail. So small, but if you grow it, plant it, it will grow to be a tree that could go up to like 30 feet tall. But it starts with a grain, something so small. And he says, if you have faith, even smallest of a grain of a mustard seed, you can tell the mountain to move. Uh, there are many other examples in Luke 17, 6. He says, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So it's not about how big faith you have, that you have any. It's coming into agreement. It's to believe in the unseen that even if it looks impossible, I confess I have looked at the mountain in Colorado. I'm like, come on, move. <laughs> Just give me an inch. <laughs> it didn't. I've never told a tree to be uprooted and thrown into the sea. I might try. But there's a curiosity in me that I'm like, can one really have faith to tell a mountain or a tree, be uprooted, get over there? It seems like an impossibility. I have not mastered it. But I come into agreement that what God's word says is more true than what my logic tells me, which looks like an impossibility. And that's why I think Jesus said in verse 24, he follows up with a statement, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So when you pray and you ask, you have to believe that you have received it, not with any doubt, but with full confidence, assurance with the substance of the unseen that says, I believe God is with me. Not to say that just because Jesus said this, that God's going to answer all our prayers. Well, uh, Apostle John and James elaborated on this, that you have to have the right heart. You have to ask the right things. So it's not like God's a genie in a bottle and you can ask for your million dollars or win that lottery ticket, because I've tried, you know. It um, doesn't work. But there is 
in, being in sync with God's heart, the Father's heart. It says in 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have uh, the request that we have asked of him. And the confidence is that according to his will, he hears us. Uh, James said in 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, meaning you are greedy. It's self-centered prayer or desire. You want that million dollars for wrong reasons. Uh, that's kind of what James is talking about. So God looks at our heart. He knows the will, but our heart has to be in line with him. So there's got to be the means of what we ask that's coming into alignment, oneness with God. To believe that he is with us without doubt. Still hard. Um, and I, and I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes doubting is easier than having faith. To believe what we see is easier than what is unseen. To believe in the logic, the law of gravity, the law of how things grow or rooted or weight, uh, just makes more sense to me than what God says is true. So some things are hard to grasp. But where faith is revealed is when our faith is tested. Where our faith is tested is when we walk through the valley of shadow of death, when we walk through the tough times, when you know you can't do it from your own strength. You know you can't do it from your own experience or your own ability. It's tested. It's pushed. The boundaries are, you know, Pushed. And it's in those times that we pray, we ask, that's when do we even have a faith of a mustard seed? Or do we go to plan B? Or do we look for other alternative ways? Because we do. When we don't have faith, we look for plan Bs and plan Cs and everything else. Because that's what we're taught. Years ago, this was, uh, the Lord called me to ministry, but I didn't fully go into seminary yet. Uh, in my mind, I was like, I need to save some money to pay for the tuition. So I work, you know, in, still in the corporate. The job required that I, I travel a lot. So I was flying all over the country. And during that time, my father had a neurosurgery. There was a tumor behind his eye uh, that caused blindness. The surgery went bad, caused paralysis in his half the body. So he was in and out of hospital between the hospital and the nursing home, and it, it was really tough time. So um, to make the long story short, I was taking care of my mother. We got an apartment complex, com apartment. For, so I'm taking care of my mom. In between my travel, my mom's like, you gotta go see your dad. I was taking two seminary graduate courses, which kept me busy in addition to the full-time work, everything. I was busy beyond my limitations. I was burdened. And during that time, 
couple of my aunts from Korea had visited. So they're like another grannies. And my mother, like, it was around October. They're like, oh, we want to show them the fall foliage of the Shenandoah uh, Mountains. Beautiful, but like, it's two, three hour drive. And of course, they want me to chauffeur. I'm like, I don't have time for that, right? But like a good son, I was manipulated to like drive them. Uh, so I'm chauffeuring them. I, I literally took a day just to chauffeur them. As soon as these ladies were knocked out in the back seat, I'm driving my normal speed. <laughs> Tried to save some time. Next thing I know, I see flashing blue, uh, 80 on a 55. Now in the state of Virginia, that is anything over 20 miles per hour is considered reckless driving ticket. And you cannot just prepay the tickets. So you have to show up to the court. This is two hours away from my home. Yeah. There's so many layers to this story. I, so the night before my court case, I was walking through the valley of shadow of death. I want you to know that I was crying. I was weeping. I was having a hard time, and this ticket was just like the icing. I was so broken, and I was like, and I had to take a whole day off from work just to drive four hours round trip, just to show up to the court to go back on probation <laughs> because I was in and out of probation for all the speeding tickets. Yeah, there's a lot more to this story. I had a history of bad, a lot of speeding tickets. Um, three for, within four months' time, four for that year. And if I ever contested a ticket at the court, the judges tack on more fines because, like, they're trying to teach me a lesson. Like, how dare you? Well, Mr. Sue, this is your first ticket this year. And, and tacked on more fines. So I was not looking forward to this court. And so I'm in prayer. I said, Lord, I'm crying. In fact, I was throwing a tantrum before God. Like a brown, <laughs> I hate this, you know. I, God, I can't believe I just showed that. Uh, <laughs> but I was doing that on the bed. I hated life. And I said, and I don't know if you guys ever thought this through, but if you walk a Christian life, you think you're going to be blessed. You're going to be protected. And, and to an extent, yes. But when I was going through that, it was like, God, where are you in all this? In my dad's health, surgery, um, you called me. I'm trying to obey. I'm, I'm busier ever now because of the work. And, like, there were so many things I was questioning about my relationship with God. Why am I going through this? And as I was praying and, and crying out, I said, God, just show me that you're here, that you didn't leave me, you didn't abandon me. Just show me, just give me some miracle that you are still with me. I, I was crying. And the first thing that popped in my head is like, Throw this court case out. Like, I hate this. That's the first thing that, like, I said it. This is the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, I'm going to go back on probation because of this thing. <laughs> so, this is way too much confessions in my BC days. No. Uh, actually, I was a believer. I wasn't even, it wasn't even BC. So, I asked, God, throw this court case out. So, the next day, I took a day off go to uh, this really small town court. In fact, the whole court could be this size, small. The, the judge went through alphabetically of the cases. With my last name, I'm like, I'm going to be at the end of the day. 
And if you know my patients, man, this is just worst. But just before lunch, he sent a clerk to give me a deal. The best deal I've ever seen in my life of all the tickets I've ever received. <laughs> so reckless is six points and like all these other things that goes with that, the fines. He offered me two points, which is like if you're going two miles per hour over in any violation, it's two points. He offered me two points, take a class, a $100 fine. If I hired an attorney and he offered that, I would have been like, hallelujah, thank you, I would have paid. But that's not what I asked. I, I want you to get this. I asked God for a miracle. I get a really good deal. If I took that deal, and I would have been happy with that deal, how would I know if God was going to answer me? My point was, God, I need to know you're with me. You see the dilemma here? Oh, I was struggling. The lady asked me for a decision. I couldn't give it to her because I wanted to take the deal. But in my mind, I asked God to throw out this case. So I said no. And the lady just looked at me and goes, this is a really good offer. I said, I know. <laughs> She's like, are you sure? I said, no. <laughs> but I, I declined. Finally, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I was literally the last case. The only people left in the court was the bailiffs, the staff, and the judge. He comes up to me, and the first thing he says, the judge, goes, Mr. Sue, I offered you a really good deal, and you declined. I was like, I know. And so, why? And I started, like, talking. Like, I gave no excuse. I said, I think I'm waiting for a miracle. <laughs> I, I want you to throw it out. <laughs> like, after he had me swear and give a testimony, he's waiting for an explanation. I said, Your Honor, I have no excuse. I just want you to be merciful and just throw this out for me. I'm just waiting for a miracle. He goes, no, he probed more. Like, there's got to be a reason. I have no reason. And then he began to mock me. And he made me the butt of the joke. They were just constant laughter, and I was the butt of the joke. In fact, the examples, he was, you see that painting back there? There's an honorable Alexander. Whenever he had some foolish cases and people did stupid things, he would do this and attack on additional fines and, and like, just for the audacity to even ask such a thing. And, and I stood there, and I, I laughed because it was that ridiculous because I had no excuse. I didn't even try to make it up. <laughs> I should have. I don't know. I couldn't even say. I, I, just, I was just waiting on the Lord, making it more improbable, more impossible. I said, God, if you're with me, you're going to do this. And after all the mockery and all the joking, he finally hits the gavel and says, mechanical failure. Gives me a fine, no moving violation, no points. I didn't go back on probation. <laughs> I paid the cashier, and the cashier is like, from reckless to mechanical, how did you pull that off? And I said, it's, it's a miracle. I'm walking back to my car, and I'm just weeping because the Lord was with me. He answered my prayer. I share that because when we ask the Lord, we have to ask with no plan B. I was willing to take on additional fines, lose my license, whatever it is, just to know that God was with me.
It was all in or not. There was no good deal somewhere in between. It was waiting on the Lord. Do you hear me? Are you with me? And waiting for a miracle. I can tell you that that's hard to do. To position yourself where you have to trust God, you have to rely on, and there is no plan B. That's when your faith is tested. That's when it really reveals what's in your heart. We can say, you know, faith is, gosh, it's so easy to talk about faith in the Bible study context, to talk about the theoretical of what we say we believe. But faith is revealed when we are tested, when we lay our neck down to say, this is what I believe, this is what I believe God says. When the impossibility is before us, the improbability, but it's like what God says is true, more so than what I see. Walking by faith and not by sight is hard. But as a people of God, we're not called for the easy walk. There's the idea of walking through the narrow gates to deny our flesh, to deny to be different than the world, to be set apart. When we look like the world, then something's wrong. Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, the place of the temple of, for God's own people, and they neither knew God or even recognized him. They acted religious, yet they did not know God's will. I confess that I don't have this whole faith thing mastered or even feel qualified to even teach of it. But to walk by faith is not just believing that miracles happen, but it's trusting. It's having the confidence, without doubt, the words of God. And what does the word of God say? I'm talking the whole scripture, cover to cover. Even the stuff I have preached from, not preached from, the entire Bible from word to word. For God's love for you, that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But not only that, he's, behold, you're a brand new creation. The Holy Spirit's come upon you, has given you, pickled you, or, you know, whatever that language is, you are a brand new creation, a child of God. And he has a plan for you and, and plans to prosper you, not to get, harm you, give you, plans to give you hope in the future. And when you call upon him, he will hear you when you seek him with all your heart. Like, there is so much stuff in the Bible about God's word that says how much he loves you, cares for you. Do you really believe that? The whole truth is found in the scripture. And we have to amen to his whole truth. It's dangerous when we read the scripture and go, I don't believe that. That's lack of faith. You know, it's, uh, this is funny. 
I think it's funny. You know, the theologians, uh, theology, people who proclaim to know the Bible and write very extensive ac academic work, they have a word for God who does not change, and it's that's immutable. That scripture supports all of our many, many examples. But you guys understand, yesterday, today, forever, God does not change. So many scripture, I'm not going to go into that. But the, theolo the theology of the immutability says that God does not change. But the same theologians who sound so smart have come up with a theological view that says uh, God has ceased, or cessationism, that says God's Holy Spirit and the works, his manifestation, has ceased in the fourth century, which is the most idiotic stupidity because you, it is, they have created a theological thinking to justify their unbelief. Do you guys understand that? If you don't believe God manifests his glory, manifests his power, that he still speaks today, even the devil is very active and you think God has retired, where is your hope? What do you believe? It only takes one miracle. It only takes a few examples of his manifestation to dispute that theology or that theological view, and yet they're so hard-hearted that they refuse to believe. It's like, oh, you're lying. You're just manipulating. That's emotionalism. They justify everything to say they don't believe. Let's call it for what it is, lack of faith. When we say we believe God, we have to believe that his inerrant word is his word for us. It is our God. It is the reason Martin Luther and, and the Protestant Reformation happened is that he was like, um, the church is acting this way, but the Bible says this. Well, back then, they didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have access to the scripture. People didn't read Latin or the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic. And so they relied on what the, the pope and the, the local squires taught. Here's Martin Luther reading the scripture, and he's like, uh, that's not, the church is doing one, but the Bible says another. That's why he read, wrote the thesis and to challenge the idea. How are we? I'm not saying he got his, all his theology correct. He didn't. But it challenged us to come back to the scriptures. And the challenge for many of us is that we say we believe, and we don't read the scriptures. We don't know the Bible. We don't know what God says. His will for us. And his will for us is so much better than we can imagine. In order to increase our faith, we need to know God's word. We need to know God. That power, that manifestation, and we were talking about this last night, comes out of intimacy. It's your intimate time, not only of reading the scripture, but listening to him in prayer. The prayer is not you talking to God. It's communicating. It's a two-way communication of his Holy Spirit in you, working in you, that you know his heart, his will. That's where faith comes from. If we say we believe, we believe that he is unchanged, that he is immutable, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I have no name. <laughs> oh, gosh. Can't flip this. And we believe in all of the scripture, including when Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for those, for the one who believes, Mark 9, 23. Or Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Faith requires us to position ourselves in a place where we must trust him. 
We must know him. We must walk with him. Faith, to say we're Christian is not just about coming to church. But it's about oneness with God and to obey. And to obey shows up in the church, within the church community. It is about serving. And I know all you guys serve, so I'm not telling you to serve. I'm not telling you to do what you're not already doing. I'm telling you to go beyond what you're already doing. You guys with me? I'm calling you up to the life and to the, your identity beyond what you think you are. This is why we offer the Jesus Lab. This is why we do the Bible study and the discipleship that I'm, like, trying to conjure up. Um, because I want you to think beyond the natural of what you see. I want you to know the deeper, more intimate obedience that requires faith. And that's when our lives are transformed. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.